You're listening to OEA Grow, a member-led production of the Oregon Education Association and a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. OEA Grow is by members, for members. In Season 11, educators discuss a culture of care with Dr. Amy Yillick. Well, welcome back to season 11. I'm Dr. Amy Yillick, and I'm hosting this season's OEA Grow podcast on culture of care. Today, I am talking with Jessica Riemann. She is an autism consultant, and she's going to be talking about trauma-responsive education. Welcome, Jessica. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you could join us. Um, Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and about your background and how you ended up in education and what you do currently? I am Jessica Riemann. I'm an autism consultant. I uh, currently live in Portland, Oregon, but I used to live in Wisconsin. And so I had an oldest or an older sister who was a special education teacher, and she taught in Milwaukee Public Schools in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, And she would just talk about her experiences with the students, and I just always felt so drawn to her stories. And um, I ended up attending the same college she did, UW Oshkosh, and graduated with my degree in both elementary and special education. So I'm dual licensed to teach both. Um, And so I taught in Milwaukee Public Schools for five and a half years, and I taught third grade regular education at first. I had started mid-year right out of graduation after the previous teacher in the room had just kind of up and left to take a position at a different school. And those kiddos in that room had already experienced a lot of trauma and abandonment. And so when I came in, they were not exactly receptive of that change. I was quote unquote, not their teacher in their minds. Yeah. And, you know, I don't blame them. That that was a really hard thing for them and they had already experienced trauma. So that half year was definitely a learning experience to say the least. Um, I tried my absolute best and I did what I could given the circumstances Uh, focusing on relationships and trust as much as I could, but it was definitely a really hard half year and first teaching experience. So I was, at the end of that year, I was accessed um, due to budget cuts and then placed in a comprehensive autism unit, which is just a self-contained classroom for autistic students. Though I did have some other kiddos with different disabilities who are kind of just in if they're having a hard time in the general ed classroom setting. Um, But I taught mostly autistic students grades first through third. And I taught in that room for five years, which were some like really, really fun years. I had some really great kiddos. And um, they taught me so much just about autism and how to individualize my approach for each kid. Um, And I really, really learned from them the importance of connection and relational safety and just the whole co-regulation piece. Co-regulation became just a really huge part of my teaching. 
um, and just really attuning to the nervous system of each student was super, super important in my work with them. That's so amazing. Thank you. And there's so many things that, that you said that I want to kind of circle back to. And the first is you talk about in your first experience of teaching that um, the kids had, you know, came with trauma and safety issues and, Mm -hmm. you know, they weren't going to. When you started in this work, is that how you viewed those kind of behaviors and that mistrust? Did you view it with the trauma lens or was that something that you've acquired over time? You know, I think it was a little bit of both, to be honest. I So when I did the student teaching in Milwaukee, I also went through a week-long or a, a cohort program called the Urban Experience. And so we had a lot of um, teachers, mentors who taught about just trauma-informed education and teaching and culturally responsive teaching. And so I kind of already had a little bit of that background, but I think when you're kind of thrown into it, it's like what you know and what you do don't always align. Um, And so I also had another teacher partner who taught on the other half of the room who had a very different lens and philosophy and me being brand new, I was just trying to survive. And, you know, I really tried hard to just focus on the relationships and trust and safety with the students. Um, But also, I really floundered that first year. Like I had a lot of kiddos who were in and out of like daycare treatments and just just really had a lot going on in their lives. And I did not have the tools in my toolbox to meet their needs in the way that I wish I had been able to, you know. So I've given myself a lot of grace because I think looking back, I, you know, I I did the best I could with what I had. Um, but I, yeah, so I would say I definitely had a little bit of that background and lens going into it. But actually applying it and just like under the pressures of having that teacher right next door and knowing that like when my kids were super loud, she got really bothered by it. And then I had to kind of like try to appease her. Um, I wasn't as strong and confident then as I was in the work. Right. Yeah. I think about my own introduction into really um, a trauma responsive practice and I was, you know, my work was as a counselor and psychologist in the schools. And of course, I, you know, we were, when I talk about like my training, I was raised, I was raised in understanding that trauma has an impact on kids, Mm -hmm. but the level and the extent, we weren't aware of it yet. I mean, I did all of my graduate work in the nineties, right? Mm -hmm. So we knew, we knew, but it wasn't we would like, okay, yes, trauma can impact these things. And we didn't really know what to do with it. And we didn't know the extent that it could, at least I didn't, you know, up until now. And I was a seasoned educator by the time I figured it out because I, you know, in 2014, I really, um, we had a pretty significant event on our campus and everything 
I saw, I was able to see how trauma impacted the entire school, Mm. right? The whole system. Mm -hmm. And so even though I came with that lens, I really didn't get it until, you know, I'd been in the, in the work for like 20 years. And, um, and now, even though I've been throwing myself into it, it's like, I still have so much to learn about this. So, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that because I think, yeah, and like the unlearning process too. Like I remember having, even though I was coming in with that lens, like I was still getting really triggered by the kids' behaviors, right? And I was like feeling all this pressure to just make them comply and make sure that I was looking good as a first-year teacher. And so, yeah, I think I – Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up because I definitely struggled that first year with really just knowing how trauma really was impacting their behaviors because I was still at some time seeing it as like, no, this is a willful choice and we need to get rid of this. We need to quote unquote nip it in the butt, so to speak. Right. Um, And I still definitely brought that in, even with that, you know, background and knowledge. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. You talked also a little bit about um, co-regulation as, and then you just, and just now you just mentioned, you know, I would get triggered because I'd want to perform and I'd want to get through the lesson and, and get through the expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you just kind of tell the listeners your perspective of what co-regulation is and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. I think, Oh, co-regulation to me is like the foundation of all teaching. It's honestly like foundation and in my opinion, the foundation of all of our interactions with everyone, right? It's just like that emotional availability, being able to able to hold someone else's emotions while also holding your own and regulating your own, um, really creating that safe space for students um, in a way that feels safe for them too. You know, it's really attuning to their nervous systems and recognizing what they respond best to, what their nervous systems respond best to, and approaching them with that lens. In my work, I find it super crucial just because my kiddos um, tend to have more sensitive nervous systems. So that attuning piece and being able to just maintain that sense of calm um, is really important because they can sense that very easily. They can sense the calm, the sense of calm, that shared sense of safety, or they can really tune into those kind of nervous, anxious emotions that we're giving off. Um, I had a kiddo in Milwaukee who unfortunately had experienced a lot of abuse and he was echolaic and he would um, draw the scenes out while repeating the um, things that he'd been hearing going on at home. And yeah, he was so easily triggered at school. You know, someone would just walk into the classroom and he would just kind of go after the person nearest him. And it was his amygdala just, you know, signaling threat, distress. And um, 
just that need to keep protect himself and keep himself safe. Um, and for him, it it was super interesting because we would be doing some work together. You know, he was really into drawing and that was our way of just kind of connecting was through that drawing. And I incorporated drawing into everything that he did because I knew that was what made him feel safe. And we weren't going to be able to learn until he felt safe. And so we focused a lot on just getting him feeling safe in school. And what was interesting was that if I had any sense of like fear or anxiety that he might escalate or have an outburst because it happened so many times, he could sense that in me. And then he would actually escalate just non-verbally, me not even saying anything. He could just feel it because, you know, like we know our nervous systems, our emotions, they're contagious. And so we attune to each other's nervous system. So that co-regulation piece and just that feeling of felt safety is just a basis for learning. And we need co-regulation to do that and to feel that sense of safety. Yeah. I always liken it to kiddos who um, have had trauma and um, and I'm not saying that we need to figure out those kids. Like, we don't need to say, hey, tell us about your tell us about your background right. so right. I can know all of your trauma. I'm not saying yeah. that. Actually, right. that would not be trauma <laughs> informed right. at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, we just know that those kids who have had trauma, like, that's their, their spidey sense, right? Like, they have the ability to kind of read our uncomfort, you know, our discomfort, or if we start to get a little agitated, or Mm -hmm. whether it has anything to do with them or not, they just that's their superpower, they can pick up on that. Um, And sometimes it's accurate. And sometimes it's not at all accurate. But, you know, for us, as the adult in the room, just that calm, you're right, like, that's just a good foundation for any relationship. (laughs) Right, right. When we're in the presence (laughs) of people, Staying calm is really the best thing that we can do, especially when we're talking about education. So we know, so uh, know that like maybe you didn't always have that trauma lens or you did. You were lucky when you went through your program. I know I kind of did, but I certainly didn't lean into it the way I do now. And Mm -hmm. then understanding co-regulation. So what when we talk about a trauma responsive approach in education, what, what is that? What does that mean? Yeah. So I think um, trauma, a trauma responsive education is really making sure that that feeling of safety, like we talked about is like at the heart of teaching and knowing that it is the foundation of learning. Uh, It's really like prioritizing that connection and safety because we recognize that in order for our students to learn anything, academic, social, anything, they have to feel safe first. Um, That's just a condition to being able to access your learning brain in that prefrontal cortex. So I think in trauma-responsive education, we really, you know, recognize that that's the foundation is first and foremost, that feeling of safety. Yeah. And I, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but it's like, 
I think of it as we're not asking educators to be therapists. We're Mm -hmm. asking them to be therapeutic, Mm -hmm. right? And that's that safety and connection that you're talking about. It's, it's not that you have to do something else. It's not this other thing that you layer on to your curriculum. It's, it's a way of being with kids. Yeah, I love that. Just like that being and that, is it called like therapeutic sense of self or something like that? Mm. I feel it's just, yeah. that it's almost like that energy you give off is just calm and safe for the other person. Right. Which, you know, right now I imagine that is really hard for educators because education is, I mean, even before um, COVID, it was always listed as one of the top 10 most stressful jobs in the nation. I mean, up there with first responders and surgeons and military. And and so knowing how stressful it is to be an educator, to come in and know that the, you know, the number one thing you can do is just to not be stressed, right. <laughs> to be calm <laughs> for your students. Just calm um, down. <laughs> yeah, just calm down. Because never in the history of calming down did anyone ever calm down from being told to calm down, right? Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it but it's so it's such the foundation of a trauma responsive approach. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, thank you for that. And um, so with that, like, are there particular things that you would say besides being calm and regulated? Like, how can how can teachers do that? Like how, you know, what would you suggest for them in a classroom? Like, okay, what is that? How do I create safety? How do I create calm? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is always a hard one because it's so it's so individualized for each student. You know, each student's nervous system responds to things differently and it's going to be very individualized and tailored to the kid. One, you know, for my students, a lot of it's a lot of connection building and for me that looks like especially for my most complex learners, it's connecting and following their lead and using those interests and the things they find um, that bring them the most sense of joy that we really use in our relationship building. Um, so like focusing on connection with with your students over compliance and um, have fun and enjoying them. And just like really believing, I think for me, it was a lot of really believing that kids do well when they can, because I think when we really believe that, it kind of shifts our perspective and um, it just helps us give a little more grace to both our kids and also like for ourselves, like knowing that we do our best when we can. And I think when we can give ourselves that grace, it helps us to give our kids more grace as well in their hard times. Um, I'm trying to, yeah, no. So that's, that's awesome. And I have an, I, there's something that you said that kind of sparked. So wouldn't, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So (laughs) if you have this, if you have a trauma responsive approach, and if you are focusing on relationship over compliance, wouldn't that create chaos in the classroom? Wouldn't everybody (laughs) just be like, ah, fend for themselves? 
<laughs> I think um, maybe if we didn't know <laughs> what we know about the nervous systems, you know, I think, yeah, absolutely have expectations, boundaries, rules, but know that there are prerequisites to meeting those, you know, like our kiddos need that foundation of safety and connection. And if we truly believe that kids do well when they can, then if they have all those prerequisite needs met first, they're going to meet our expectations and do what they can do, you know, but they, yeah. they really need those foundations of safety and connection first. Right. Yeah. Not having any rules or boundaries is not trauma responsive. Right. <laughs> Kids need and adults and people in general, right, need rhythm and routine. They need structure. Mm -hmm. They need predictability. Yeah. You know, those are those are the hallmarks of like being that trauma informed trauma responsive it's yeah we have that relationship it's those high expectations with high support yes. right? yeah yeah definitely and I, I think about that with my autistic kids because yeah I hope that didn't come off as oh yeah you just need to have a have a good relationship no, 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 it didn't at all. It, it, it didn't. I was just playing the, I, I've been doing this work long enough that I've heard that from educators of, yeah. you know, like, oh, you know, it's just hugs and cookies and there's no behavior change. <laughs> right. No. And like, I think you brought up something super important because that's like, in my, in my work, especially, and I think with all kids, it's, it's necessary, but especially for my autistic kiddos, you know, I've been really trying to align my work with um, what I've learned through like applied educational neuroscience and, and just how they work with each other. And for me, it's a lot of thinking about what makes my kids feel safe. And it is, it's that structure, it's the routines, it's the predictability, it's, they need that familiarity they need the sense of sameness they really find comfort in those things and so that for them is safe and feels good for their nervous system so yeah I think those expectations and having those expectations clearly and explicitly explained to them for a lot of my kids they need the why behind it you know so it's really like understanding what they need to make their nervous systems feel safe um, and it is, a lot of it is that, that structure and routine yeah. and predictability. Yeah. Amazing. What are some of the successes that you've had in this work as, you know, leaning on the trauma responsive approach? Yeah. So it, it looks a little different for me now, just because I don't have as much control, right? Like I am a consultant, so I'm not direct support to students and more support to staff, which when I go and I visit kids, I'm still, you know, just, I'm still co-regulating with them. I'm still developing relationships with them. I'm uh, interacting with them one-on-one -on -one just because I can't just not interact with the kids. That's just, right. that's why I do this is because I love yeah. the kids. Yeah. But um, it's a lot more hands-off than I'm used to. So, But I've still seen some really cool successes with a couple kiddos 
Um, one kiddo last year, for example, he was really, really struggling with, he's a fir- he was a first grader last year, really struggling with making any type of mistake. He wouldn't accept help from anyone if he made a mistake and you pointed it out or if he made a mistake and noticed it he would just escalate super super quickly start yelling panicking just panicking and um what I had learned from his special ed teacher was that um his previous teacher in a different district was had been sending notes home to his parents with like negative comments about him at school and she didn't know that he could read. So he was reading all of these messages, these negative messages about himself and really internalizing them. And he had a lot of like negative self-talk that was coming out as well. Um, And so we really focused on just that negative perception that he had about himself and I found like a file folder for her to do like positive affirmations with him and just really reinforcing that idea that like it's okay to make mistakes and um, they did like a silly mistake time and so that he could learn associating Mm -hmm. like mistakes with like a silly fun connecting activity with his teacher and we saw so much success with him. He... Um, he started like reaching out for help. His anxiety levels completely went down. He stopped having these like panic attacks when he was making mistakes. He would raise his hand and ask for help. He was like accepting feedback and correction from adults, like just so much more regulated. And it was really, really cool to see that, oh, like once we focused on just that perception of his own self and just making sure he felt safe enough to make those mistakes and that, you know, he was safe even when he did make those mistakes, he just really flourished and he's doing so well. So mm. it's, it's been really fun to see. Um, and then there was another kiddo who he um, is at a different school of mine in a different district. And I took over this district halfway or mid midway through the year last year. And so it had been reported to me, you know, that this kiddo, he, he has a lot of like sensory needs, just really, really high sensory needs and not really, can't really tolerate being around many peers or other people just very, very sensitive nervous system and um, wasn't really, couldn't really sit for very long, which is fine. But, but then that made working really difficult. <laughs> and right, right. Do, you know, couldn't really attend to tasks for very long um, and just wasn't really connect, trying to connect with anyone around him was pretty just to himself all day, just kind of wandering and roaming. And Um, We really focused on just kind of joining into his world and uh, making him feel safe and connected in the classroom, listening to his communication when he communicated that he was done or needed a break and really listen to that rather than forcing him to sit back down or come back or just really recognizing that his body was telling him that he had different needs and just really honoring those needs. Um, and just doing that over time, we developed a lot of trust with him. And this year he's, he's using his AAC device to try to communicate and he's connecting with others and he's just so much more regulated. He'll actually 
I watched him the other day and he was just like sitting in his chair and he was, the teacher was helping him. He, his fine motor skills are, are really hard for him, but the teacher was like holding the pen over and they were completing some little like tracing activity together. And he was probably working on those activities for a good like five minutes straight and just super regulated. And he's, you know, coming up to people and just like putting his face right in yours and giving that eye contact and a smile. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you are so sweet. <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's Aww. making so much progress. And it's it's been really, really beautiful to see with him. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm, And I imagine, you know, like education being stressful, that, that your job also can be really heavy hearted, especially I think when we have a trauma lens, um, it changes our heart a little bit. So what do you do? Like personally, what are your strategies to help you make this work sustainable? Yeah, I've got a lot. (laughs) Yeah. So I am a very active person and I love to rock climb. So I go to the climbing gym at least like three times a week, which is for me, like just super therapeutic. It really, it requires, because I do a lot of lead climbing and it really requires you to be very present and in the moment. Um, So it's like one of the only things that can get my mind off of work. (laughs) So rock climbing is huge for me. Um, I used to be really into running and trail running. I have an IT band um, injury right now that I'm still healing from. So I do a lot of walks and I walk a lot or I get into nature, even if it's just Forest Park here in Portland. Um, I find that to be super grounding, just being in nature. Luckily, my neighborhood has a ton of trees and greenery around. So I almost feel like I'm walking through the forest sometimes. Yeah. Um, So lots of physical activity. Dance um, is super, super helpful for me. Um, I go to dance church sometimes. It's like like a couple months. It's just like very ther- therapeutic dancing where you're literally just like shaking and getting the negative energy and anxious energy out and stomping and ground pounding. Just a lot of therapeutic movements that really get me in my body and or I'll just dance by myself sometimes or I'll like go to a show with a friend um, and just really connecting with people who feel safe to my nervous system has been really, really huge for me as well. You know, those like more like-minded folks where I feel like I don't have to like prove anything to them or um, it's not going to start any type of de- debate or anything. Just some talking about politics. Or they're just your politics, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. Where I know it's not gonna be a stressful <laughs> encounter. It's just right. gonna be nice like connecting and um a, like a therapeutic relationship. I have a lot of really good friends like that who are just very non-judgmental and I can just authentically be myself and that's been really important for me. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. You do a lot of. I would do a lot of hot soaks and saunas too. If no one's tried, they're amazing (laughs) for your body. So that's helped a lot as well. Mm-hmm. That's that's so cool. Can I? I think you said something, and I haven't heard of this before. Did you call it dance church? Yes, dance church. 
tell okay, I understand the concept of what you're doing, but tell me more. Is this a structured place that you go or is it just you do it on your own? Yeah, no, it's a structured place. It's um I I think they have locations all over the US. I would have to double check on that. It's I know it's more than just Portland though. I go it's like up in the Alberta Arts District or they have this uh, dance studio and an instructor comes and it's not like Zumba where you're following the coordinated moves at all times. It's like they'll kind of lead you in some movements, but you're really just doing what feels good for your body. And it's a whole group of you kind of do following some movements from the instructor. And like sometimes they'll, they'll have you face a different direction or kind of change it up and like move around the room a little bit and he has certain motions that you follow but there's no talking in dance church it's just you can sing along <laughs> to the music you can you can kind of chant you can yell you can do what you need to do to get the energy out um but he kind of just coordinates the group and like at the end we all get into a big circle and he calls out multiple groups and we all group one goes out and dance and you go back group two and so on um, and yeah, it, it is a fun, That's amazing. it's so hard to explain dance church. You honestly just have to kind of go. You have to go. And it. I have to tell you, I'm like part, like totally wanting to do it. And then part horrified. Like I have yeah. both of those at the same time. I get that like, reaction a lot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I will say okay. like, it is a very freeing experience. It's like, no one's really paying attention to you dancing. Everyone's there just for themselves. Right. And it's right. great. And it actually, I, I like, if you think about the concept of stress of, you know, kind of completing the stress cycle, mm -hmm. that sounds exactly like what our bodies need when, you know, to kind of move the stress out of our system. So yeah, yeah that's amazing. Exactly okay. Thank you. I, yeah. I love it. I highly right. recommend. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to look for it here in central Oregon. Um, maybe. <laughs> If you do, let me know how you like it. Okay, all right. I probably won't be videotaping myself doing that. That's no, totally fine. <laughs> all right. So if I gave you a magic wand and you could use it for trauma responsive education, what would happen? Yeah, so I think... Everyone, first of all, would just go back to the basics. And in my mind, the basics looks like really focusing on that connection and safety and kind of just for a moment, just take off the pressure of academics and, you know, that fear of um, not getting compliance and just take it off the table for a while and just really focus on that connection and relationship. Um, I think co-regulation would be top pri priority. And all of our kids, you know, if I had a magic wand, they'd all feel just super safe and connected and validated and seen and loved and just truly affirmed for who, for who they are, you know, and just really just feel that inside of themselves. Um, and then lastly, this is just my personal <laughs> opinion. I would right. honestly throw behaviorist approaches out the door. You know, I think behaviorism has its place in education and a lot of people come from this background, but I think sometimes it can really hinder us from seeing the under 
underlyings of behaviors. And so often we just focus on that surface level and it stops us from really digging underneath and seeing the behaviors for, for what they are, which is communication and signals of a dysregulated nervous system. Right. Oh, yeah. When you, the second point that you made about all of our kids would feel safe and know that they were, you know, basically that they're worthy, right? Yeah. And that they're okay. Really, that really touched me. Thank you. Yeah. And um, as we kind of wrap up our conversation, what, what else would you think it would be important for our listeners to know about trauma responsiveness? You know, I think just making sure that um, you're taking care of yourselves, like this work is so incredibly hard. And if you are, like you were saying before, coming with that trauma-informed lens, like it can feel so heavy and we can get so just emotionally involved in this work because we just, we love our students. We want to do right by them. And it can take a lot out of us. And so I think it really is important. You know, we know this work starts with with us. And so just really making sure you're finding those things and those peoples that those people, those people that are your anchors and just really ground you so that you can continue to do this really important work. Mm, thank you. That was great. Oh my gosh. I just loved our conversation today. Yay. Me too. Uh, thank you so much uh, for having me. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that's all we have for today's episode on season 11 of OEA's Grow podcast. Um, tune in uh, next week as we continue this conversation around what it means to have a culture of care. For now, um, I'll see you next time and take care. For more OEA professional learning opportunities, visit grow.oregonad.org.